You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. Jesus. Who's Jesus? I mean, we all have different ideas, don't we, about who we think Jesus is. Steve, do you want to put up a, one of our pictures there? I mean, maybe this is your idea of Jesus. It's a nice picture, isn't it? I don't know how accurate it is, but it looks very spiritual somehow, doesn't it? So do you think, I don't know, is Jesus like that? What's the next one? Maybe like that? Maybe that's our idea of Jesus. Do you ever sort of stop and think, I wonder what he looked like? And do you, do you, do you have this idea in your head that, that Jesus is a, a certain way? What's our next one? A bit more of a arty mosaic Jesus, no? You like the second one? No, that one's not appealing. You don't want a Jesus like that. I mean, I mean, who is Jesus? There's so many different ideas, isn't there, about, about who Jesus is. Take a look at this last one. What do you think of this last one? Any takers for that one? You know, interestingly, uh, they've, they've done um, uh, uh, scans of skulls. Uh, found in, in the Jeru- Jerusalem, you know, Middle East sort of area from the time of Jesus, of, of men of about that age. And they've used those 3D imaging to um, create a, a picture of what the average typical Jewish male of the time would have looked like. That. So there's a, I mean, I'm not saying that's what Jesus looked like, but there's a, there's a fair chance that he looked more like that than our image number one, which we could flash back to. Okay. Uh, yeah, there, there, look, there's, there's all sorts of different ideas we have about Jesus. And we're going to move into a series looking at Jesus. He's the author of our faith after all, isn't he? Um, he's also the... Uh, authority of our faith and if you have a think about the word authority it has the word author in it so he's the author of our faith and he's the authority of our faith and we're going to do a series on the authority of Jesus which I think sounds like a bit of fun what do you think so who is this Jesus we need to get this sorted out. And I won't make us vote on our favourite Jesus pictures, but we, we do need to, to lay a, a little bit of, of groundwork. I must say at the Easter pageant, we had a rather superb Jesus who was, who was sitting here amongst us. Yeah, he was, he was superb, definitely. Yeah. He was very authoritative. In fact, maybe you should be up here preaching this message next week. <laughs> You make sure you bring your gown and robes next week. Who is this Jesus? Uh, the intriguing thing about Jesus is that he, he has both a divine and a human nature. So he's fully God, but also fully human. It's a bit hard to reconcile that, isn't it? How can he be fully two things? How can he be fully God and fully human? Um, one of the unfortunate pitfalls of church planting, and I've seen it happen with a number of other pastors, is that your hair goes grey. It goes grey. You start off with your hair colour, you plant a church, and you end up grey by the end of the process. And, and so my hair is in the process of going grey. And, um, it, and it's both brown and grey. 
And, and, and both of these colours are existing as separate yet unified expressions of my hair. Okay, so uh, look, that's the best I could do. Theologians would pick holes in that um, little analogy for, um, uh, for what Jesus is. You know, my hair's not half, half grey and half brown, it's both at once. And uh, Jesus is not part human and, and, and part uh, God. He's not sort of some sort of strange, alien-like, transformer robot. He's all human and all God. Separate yet unified. Separate yet unified. Jesus is more than a prophet who brings a message from God. He comes speaking as God. With the same authority as God. And throughout the last 2,000 years, many people have tried to make, make sense of Jesus by saying, well, he, he's probably just a man. A special man, but just human. And uh, today you'd find uh, people like the Jehovah's Witnesses, for example. They follow the teachings and examples of Jesus. They even call him saviour. They believe he was sent from heaven, but they do not believe that he is God, a member of the Trinity. They say he's a created being like the rest of us. So there's, there's a lot of uh, different ideas out there about who Jesus is. The authority that rests in Jesus is, one, is as one who is divine and human. It has some pretty exciting outcomes for us. And we're going to discover some of those as we go through this series on the authority of Jesus. Now, we are told that Jesus taught the word with authority. And if you turn to the book of Mark, that's where we're going to camp out for in this series. Mark chapter 1, verse 21 through to 28. Mark 1, 21 to 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. What is authority? Authority is both the power to do something and also the, the, the permission that has been granted to enable you to do that. I think authority is something that this world has a bit of a love-hate relationship with, doesn't it? I mean, the, the world, people in the world both crave authority, they, they seek it, but at the same time they reject it. At any workplace you'll find there are people vying for those leadership positions, won't you? Uh, the recent election reminded us of the all-encompassing hunger for political parties to be the one in authority. Even in schoolyards, kids battle it out amongst their peers for authority, uh, otherwise known as the pecking order or top dog. Many people love the, the power and the control that comes with authority, um, but, but these same people find it uh, offensive or naive that we should say that there would be an absolute authority over all of humanity. 
an absolute authority that speaks the final word of truth in any and all situations. And, and that's where people reject this idea of authority. So they both love it and yet reject it. As soon as you say, you know what, there's an absolute truth, there's an absolute authority in control of this world. God. God is that absolute authority. Uh, dare I mention um, a certain former rugby player? Okay. And, and I, I don't want to comment so much on what uh, Israel uh, Falau uh, said or, or how he went about it. I mean, many people would question his wisdom in, in how he went about doing what he did, did. But I think what is really at the heart of, of the absolute outrage that has been inflicted upon this man is that he dared to claim there was an absolute final authority, an absolute truth about right and wrong, that someone, namely God, really did have the right to decide what is true and good. And so in telling the world that they are actually accountable to God, people got offended. In telling people that there is a God who exercises good and loving authority over them, people don't like it. We're all a little bit like that, though, I think, if we're honest. If someone tells us something we've, we've, we've done is, is not right in, so, in some way, and um, there were many examples that flicked through my mind there, but they're all to do with my family, and it would embarrass them to use them, so I'm, I'm not going to give you examples there. But um, when, we, when we say, hey, this isn't right, don't do it this way, here's a better way, people get annoyed and they get angry, and they get cranky, and they get hurt. And, and it really is a sin issue. Humanity have rejected God's right to speak into their life and situation, to govern them, to say what is good for them. Humans have rejected God's authority. We wonder why there's so many problems we face in daily life. And uh, that's where Jesus comes. That's where Jesus comes, with an authority that is irresistible. And we'll see that in, in this series. So the Bible teaches that Jesus is God with us who has authority over this world and all its problems. And when we look at what is needed for this world to thrive, for, for us to experience what is good and right in our lives, we need to look to Jesus. If you have another look there at Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And the book of Mark, we're going to see Jesus demonstrating the good news that he has authority over evil. He has authority over death. He has authority over nature. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over sin. He has an authority over religion. And he is an authority over you and me and people. Jesus is the author of it all. He has the authority to decide. He has the power of choice. He gets to decide the story, the instructions. He, he writes the policy, as it were. And he has the capacity and the power to see that God's plan happens. Jesus has jurisdiction here on earth. In Jesus, the physical human being who, who, who walked this earth in a real time, in a real place, we see God with us. The kingdom of God has come near. The rule and reign of God has come close. And that's just another way of saying the authority of God has come to earth. 
do you want this authority? I mean, I, I, I need to know. I need to know that the rule and reign of God has come. I, I, I need this authority in my life. I, I need this authority in my children's life. I need it in my family. I need it in my workplace. I, I need to know that God is with me in all of this daily stuff. You know, there's so much that happens in this world that, that, that frustrates me and saddens me and confuses me. You know, it's, it's, it's like uh, the woman in her 50s that I met once recently, who, after being on a disability pension for most of her adult life, suddenly isn't. She's been booted off the pension and she has to work. And she can't afford a car, so she must walk to her job which is an hour walk away from her home, and it's an, an evening shift in the home of a disabled man. And so she has to walk there at night for an hour to do a one or two hour shift, where she then walks home at night. She has uh, arthritic swollen ankles. She, she wears mismatched flip-flops because she can't afford to buy shoes. And as she's walking home at night, in the dark, on her own, when it's cold and wet and raining, uh, people are driving past in cars, yelling abuse at her and throwing rubbish at her. She has no running water in her home. She has to carry buckets of water to fill the cistern of a toilet so that she can use her toilet. She experiences significant anxiety and depression. Her family have disowned her. You know, she has no one that she was willing to put on a next of kin or emergency contact list. And every day, she wishes she could go to sleep and not wake up. I need to know there's an authority in this world who has the final say. I need to know that there's an authority over this world and over its problems, over evil and death and nature and sickness and religion and over me. I need to know that someone has the right answers, that someone knows for sure what is good and what is right. Do you? I need someone to follow and learn from. If there's one thing I've discovered in life is I don't have all the answers. Now, I think I can imagine how the Jewish people felt when they heard Jesus teaching in the synagogue that day. Let me read Mark 1.21 again. Then Jesus and his companions went to Capernaum and as soon as the Sabbath began, Jesus entered the synagogue and began to teach. The people were astonished at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Verse 27, all the people were amazed and they began to ask each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority. There's, there's something so uh, appealing and desirable, isn't there, about someone who is, has such wisdom and insight when they, when they teach or speak. You know, everything just, just comes alive and, and, and just this hope boils up inside of you and it just all suddenly makes sense and a light switches on and you get excited and you get both inspired and relieved and, and energized all at once and because this is not something you've heard before you think this is this is amazing this is this is new this is something different 
I remember quite a few years ago doing a class through Tabor College uh, called Creative Living. And it was actually a course written by uh, CSE's Barry Chant, but it was delivered by a man called David McGregor. And for that entire course that I did by distance education, so I'd listen to these recordings um, with my headphones on, and it just felt like I was in this intimate bubble with Jesus the entire time. And uh, the, the, the course presented the gospel and some really common scriptures that, that I'd grown up with in a way I'd never heard before. And it left me breathless and, and astonished and amazed and excited. And, and it presented for me grace in a way that, that, that was just so much more than amazing. And, and, and it presented the love of God and, and being a new creation and being justified in ways that I just came alive. And I can, I can still remember the sound of this lecturer's voice whispering <laughs> these precious truths of Scripture to me. And I would hang off every word he spoke because he, he spoke truth with authority. And I wonder, is that how the Jewish people felt in the synagogue that day? Listening to Jesus teach about scriptures they'd heard all of their life. They'd studied all of their life. They'd followed and obeyed all of their life. Yet, yet when this Jesus taught it, uh, all of a sudden it was fresh and new as if they'd heard and seen God for the very first time. And it, and it all made sense and it made their hearts sing. And it made them say, this is good news. Don't you, don't you just love it when you read uh, scripture and God speaks to you through it and your heart sings? Have you experienced that? Did you ever wonder why they let Jesus get up and speak in the synagogue? Did you ever kind of ask that question? Like, was it like our church and he just had his turn on the communion roster? Or like, like what's going on there? Because uh, Jews are pretty particular people, aren't they? Like, they're, they're pretty particular about making sure that the teaching is right, that the rules are right, that the practice of faith is legit, that it's correct, that everyone's doing the same thing, which is the right thing. How on earth did Jesus get a spot? the pulpit it's a bit random to answer that question we need a quick overview of the the jewish school system <laughs> you want to hear it <laughs> you're ready to hear about how jews educated their their kids and how they educated rabbis it's good it's interesting i'm going to tell you anyway look they, they entered the school system around age four or five like our kiddies would and they would begin by memorizing the torah off by heart, like, like from memory, which, I mean, right there, I'm like, what? <laughs> how? I was joking with someone early this week about how both of us um, don't like to keep unnecessary numbers in our head because we can look them up. I mean, why remember them when you can, can look them up? Like, I have a smartphone. You know, I don't need to remember these things. I, I, I can't nearly imagine having the first five books of the Old Testament memorised. I'm lucky to have the first five digits of my phone number memorised. For some reason, I can remember my tax file number, but struggle with other numbers. I don't know why that is. But um, to memorise the first five books of the Old Testament, it's quite an effort. 
And then at age 12, they would have an exam where they're tested. I guess it's a bit like NAPLAN for Jewish boys. And uh, it's not so much on their knowledge of the Torah or their ability to answer questions, which is how we teach our kids. It's actually about your wisdom and your insight into the Torah demonstrated by your ability to ask questions. That's a new way of testing people, isn't it? Not answering questions. How good can you ask questions? Hmm. And so um, uh, you'd, be, you'd have to go and see the rabbis and, and you'd have to ask these really clever and insightful questions. And if you passed that, you would get offered the opportunity to go on and, and, and study to be a rabbi. Now, who here remembers the, the whole incident in the Bible where Jesus was left behind at the temple while his family went off going, well, what was he doing at the temple? He was wowing and astonishing them with his questions. The age of 12. So what was happening there? That was, that was his NAPLAN examination, wasn't it? All right. And it sounds like he probably passed. All right. And, you know, could go on to become a rabbi. You know, everyone there was just amazed at his understanding and answers. So he, he would have continued his education to become a rabbi. Now, most kids at this stage would have just stopped their education. They would have gone off to work in the family business or trade. But Jesus would have continued his education alongside learning his family trade in what was effectively secondary school, high school. And, and out of this crop, sort of the best of the best students would then go off and become a disciple of a rabbi. And they might even leave home to travel with this rabbi. And, and a, a disciple in this case was more than just a student learning lots of knowledge. The, the disciple would actually strive to be exactly like the rabbi in all ways. In everything they said, in everything they did, in the way they walked. And so these disciples would watch and listen and imitate uh, uh, and become like their rabbi. And, and they would then graduate and they would then teach the teachings and the interpretations of the rabbi that they had learnt under. Now you were locked into teaching this accepted uh, interpretation of scripture that others had taught to you. And that's how the law and all its application interpretations was passed down from generation to generation. So through rabbi to rabbi to rabbi. And at age 30, you would, you would graduate from rabbi school. And by this stage, only the best of the best, the smartest of the smartest, the wisest of the wisest would make graduation as a rabbi. Now, here's where it gets interesting, all right? So most, most would graduate as just normal rabbis, if you could call a rabbi normal, but you know what I mean, as, as a rabbi. Occasionally, though, like very occasionally, once in a few generations, one would graduate with semika. Now, this is a Hebrew word meaning, you ready? Authority. Mm. So occasionally, a very, very special rabbi would graduate with authority, semika. And they're declared to have this authority. And this meant that you didn't have to teach the teachings of the rabbi that had taught you, that had been passed down to you from that rabbi. This meant you were able to make your own interpretations of Scripture. You could uh, uh, put together your own teachings of the Torah and make your own legal judgments about the Torah. 
this was something pretty unique and pretty special and pretty amazing. And, and when they baptized, when you graduated, they would baptize you. That was part of the graduation ceremony. And to be declared as having Samika, you'd need two verbal witnesses to your authority. Think about Jesus' baptism. There were two voices that spoke out declaring his authority. John the Baptist. You know, John testifies that this is God's chosen one. And then the second voice from heaven, God the Father. You know, this is my son. He is from me. I love him. I'm well pleased with him. I mean, I tell you what, there's an endorsement of authority if I've ever heard one. God says, I know him. I endorse him. Jesus has Samika. He has my authority. And the Gospels show him using this authority in the synagogue, in the streets, in the homes, in boats, on mountainsides, everywhere. We clearly see that the rule and reign of God has come to earth. The kingdom of God has come. Matthew 28, 18, what does Jesus say? Matthew 28, 18, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. And so Jesus' teaching stands out as unique because he has authority. Which is just as well, isn't it? Because there are so many conflicting human opinions and, and ways and beliefs and recommendations about what is good and true, isn't there? I mean, then as much as now, how do we know what is good and right and true? Think about for a moment food and nutrition. I mean, there's an area where there's a few different opinions, isn't there? Like, what's the best way to be healthy? Like, what's the best way to lose weight? I bet I could get a different opinion from every person in this room. You know, there's, there's, there's all these different diets out there. Who, who's ever... Who's ever been on a diet? I see, I see a few shaky hands going up. Look, look. how do you decide what's the right one? It's the latest. The latest. I like that. Because, you know, well, there's a lot of latest, though, Cindy. I Googled. I Googled. You ready? That's why you can continue on the same one. Just stop. And change. Now, here is a lady who speaks with authority. You got your low-carb diet. Your low-fat diet, your low-calorie diet, you've got your Atkins diet, and you've got your South Beach diet, which kind of sounds a bit like um, the sort of diet you have when you're on holidays, which is like fish and chips and Coke at the beach and ice cream or something, I don't know. Anyway, you, um, it's really just another low-carb, low-calorie diet. Um, you've got your Paleolithic diet, you've got your, your DASH diet, your Dukan diet, your raw food diet, you have your Hacker diet. I don't know, Coke and pizza maybe? I don't know. Uh, you've got your Montagnac diet, you've got your CSIRO diet, and you have your apple diet. Apple diet? Like, and that got me thinking, you know, if there's an apple diet, I wonder, is there a chocolate diet? <laughs> and guess what? There is! <laughs> and, um, and look, I read this article about someone who went on the chocolate diet and lost weight and actually improved their healthy eating and um and like you, you just eat chocolate and then whatever you want and you lose 
weight. And I, I don't know, I'm, I'm seriously thinking of trying that diet. And so, like, if you want the link, come and see me afterwards and we can, like, diet together or something. Like, I think this could be fun. <laughs> well, there you go. But I don't know. I mean, Daniel diet, chocolate diet. I don't know, the chocolate one sounds appealing. Look, there's so much conflicting advice about everything in this world, isn't there? Go to the Bible. Look, that's my, that's my bottom line and all these diet stuff. Go to the Bible first. Uh, we, we can't even agree on what a healthy diet looks like. And in general, like human beings, we rarely agree on what is correct and true. I mean, think about politics... Think about climate change, marriage, relationships, parenting, science, history, economics, education. What on earth is actually true? Who gets to decide what is good? Even within Christian community and individual churches, there's lots of different opinion, isn't there, about uh, truth. And many people claim to have the right knowledge or at least an exclusive take on knowing what God wants in any given situation. We all search for truth you how how do you go about discerning truth in your life have you ever had a big decision to make but you struggle to get clarity instead there's this kind of confusion there and, and all you want is for someone to tell you what is good and right and true just tell me the right answer do you ever ask someone for help and, and you, you just want the answer, you just want the solution, but they want to show you how to get the answer and you get annoyed, you know, ah, I don't want the responsibility for having to do this myself, I just want you to do it for me, you to tell me what to do. Sometimes my wonderful husband will, will try to explain to me how mechanical things work, like let's say there's something broken in our house. And, and he comes and explains to me what's wrong with it and how to fix it and what's gone wrong. And, you know, well, ah, I just don't want to know. I just want it fixed. God doesn't so much tell us the right answer as to tell us the right way. And I, I love what Jan was saying, and I think Jan was pretty much alluding to, to a lot of this in her communion message. And I, I'm actually just, I didn't have this scripture, but I'm actually going to go to the scripture Jan had there. And um, in Isaiah uh, chapter 30, 21, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. God doesn't so much tell us the answer, he tells us the way. And so whether we're going this way, he says, this, this is how you do it in this situation. Or whether we turn to the right, he says, well, here, here's the way. There's, there's, there's choice there. There's, there's the ability for us to, to think and, and determine. And, and, and God will show us the way rather than the, the specific prepackaged little answer. You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't live in us as a, as a, a computer code. Do this, now do this, do this, now do this, do this, now do this, do this, now do this. We're, we're not computers that are, are programmed, are we? We are human beings with creativity and thought and will. And instead of, God, um, instead of us asking God to tell us what to do all the time, which is pretty much us saying, God, make me a robot. I don't want to be made in your image. I want to be made in the image of a robot to receive instructions and I will just do what 
you tell me to do. No. You know, we, we seek him for wisdom. We seek him for discernment. We, 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 we seek to know what Jesus says about life. Uh, about what Jesus says about what is good and, and true, knowing his ways. And all of that gives us the ability to make wise and good choices. And for that, we need to sit under his teaching. Like if we were just program robots, you know, word of God, voice in, do this, do that, we, we wouldn't need to sit under his teaching. <laughs> we wouldn't need to learn and grow and discover and, and meditate. We'd just... just receive the program and off we'd go but we're not robots we're human beings we need to sit under his teaching we need to know him and be in fellowship with him how well be connected be part of church life and that that's both this uh, a sunday gathering like this for example, corporate worship. You know, worship is such a beautiful way to, um, to, to, to be with Jesus together. And it, it does stuff in our soul, in our mind, in our heart. It makes us open and receptive and hungry. And it, it grows us and it nourishes us and stretches us all in one beautiful moment. So be connected, be part of church life on a Sunday, but, but also on a Monday and a, and a Tuesday and an every day. Be connected with each other, pray with each other, study the Bible together. You can also um, meditate on scripture, chew over it, grab a, a small chunk of it and um, pray it, read it. Uh, it's a, this is a really good way for scripture to become authoritative and alive in your life. You know, Ephesians um, 3.20 is one I like to do that with. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. I tell you what, you start chewing over that scripture and start praying to that scripture for a week and whoa, watch out world. Okay, this is how the word of God becomes alive and active in your life. Don't just read it, meditate on it. So meditate on the Bible. You know, it it doesn't matter when you read the Bible how limited you think your insight is. I think that sometimes stops people from getting stuck into the Word because you think, oh, it's it's hard or I don't know if I'm understanding it right or I I think my interpretation might be a little bit flaky or a bit off. Uh, It doesn't really even matter how self-serving your initial reasons for going to Scripture are. I've been reading the Bible regularly since I was a teenager. And I must confess, when I first started reading the Bible as a teenager, my reasons for reading it were pretty self-serving. It had usually was more to do with trying to receive divine guidance about boys I was interested in than divine guidance for holy living and uh, what God wanted, which is probably as a teenager what I really should have been going after, you know, a bit more holy living and (laughs) godliness. Uh, But just start somewhere. Just start somewhere. Uh, If you're a visual person, if you're a visual person, you might like to jump on somewhere like studygateway.com. And there's all sorts of different teaching uh, DVDs that you can watch there from all sorts of topics, history to prayer to 
whatever, you name it, it's on there. Uh, your first month is free and then after that you pay a little subscription, but really good value for money. Okay? Really good value for money. So there's all sorts of ways you can, you can sit under the teaching of Jesus. And if you want to know the authority, the word, the teaching, the, the power of Christ, you, you've got to sit at his feet and receive from him. You can't just drift around doing your own thing. That's the easiest way, isn't it, to drift? That's what we all tend to do by default, isn't it? You'll, you'll slowly find that as you immerse yourself in the authority and teaching of Jesus, you'll find yourself making better choices. You'll, you'll make wiser decisions. You won't so much need to ask God what is right in a situation because you'll know what is right in a situation because you are so wrapped up in the teaching of Jesus that his worldview becomes your worldview. His way of looking at things and the situation becomes your way of looking at things and situations. And, and it's vital that we, we develop this sort of Christian Jesus worldview and way of seeing the world. Sooner or later, we realise that the way we've been living life or dealing with our problems and working through our issues on our own doesn't, doesn't work on our own. And uh, Jesus offers us a new and a better way of being human. Jesus offers us a new and a better way of being human. And uh, maybe today you, you're starting to get an inkling that maybe the way you've been doing life uh, is, is not quite working for you. Recently I, I had a bit of a, a revelation in my own life that the way I'd been approaching uh, some, some personal things I've been working through was, was probably not all that successful because they kept on reoccurring, you know. And I, I guess if you've tried something for 20 years and it <laughs> hasn't changed, maybe, oh, maybe it's time to try a new track, do you think? <laughs> uh, I had this revelation that I needed to try a new way because the old way wasn't working. And um, I'd been dealing with this issue between me and God, and which sounds good, doesn't it? But, but sometimes, um, sometimes what I've learned is God puts us into community for a reason, doesn't he? And, um, and by going to other people with our issues or our, our burdens, uh, we can gain a level of freedom that maybe we can't obtain our own. It's, it's the idea of bearing one another's burdens, isn't it? So Jesus showed me that I needed a new way of dealing with this because the old way wasn't working. And so whatever place you're in at the moment, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's indifferent, Jesus comes as one who will show you a new or a better way. He will teach you the truth. Mark 1, 21. Then Jesus and his companions went to Capernaum. This is our little key scripture. And as soon as the Sabbath began, Jesus entered the synagogue and began to teach. The people were astonished at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the scribes. 27, all the people were amazed and began to ask one another, what is this, a new teaching with authority? Jesus, I can guarantee, will astonish you. Jesus will astonish you. With his teaching, with his insights, you will be amazed at the clarity and insight you gain into your situation, whatever it is, when you sit under his teaching. Jesus is the authority you crave. 
and you need. The authority of Jesus comes to bring freedom and relief from whatever burden or whatever fear or whatever situation you are facing. Jesus has a new word for you and a new way for you. He speaks a new word of truth into your life and shows you a new way to live, free of fear, free of confusion, free of negative thoughts, free of your past mistakes and free of your biggest regrets. He brings you a new way because the old way isn't working. How is your current way working out for you? Like is fear really working for you? Is negativity and judgment working? Is fierce independence working for you? Bitterness, unforgiveness, envy, anxiety, anger, depression? Are you caught up in your past and in your regrets and in your failings? Do you feel trapped? Do you feel forgotten, hurt, out of control, bored, apathetic, just kind of meh? Do you need a new way today? Jesus has the authority to teach you a new way of living life and being human. These, these, these rabbis, do, do you know what the, the name, what they called their teachings? Uh, the, the accepted interpretations of scripture. Do you know what these were called? These accepted interpretations that were passed down from generation to generation. Um, they were called yokes. They were called yokes. So people were to keep the yoke of the Torah. So people were to keep the yoke of the Hebrew scriptures and their interpretations. So most, as I said, most rabbis had to teach the yoke that was passed on to them from the rabbi that they were a disciple to. And then, of course, as we discovered, the very occasional rabbi that was given semika or was given authority had permission or liberty to make a new yoke a new teaching, a new way of understanding and keeping the law of God, a new way of living and being God's people. What, what scripture do you know where Jesus refers to his yoke? His yoke. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus comes with the authority to teach you a new way of living life, and he will show you what is good and right and proper, and his way will bring rest into your burdened heart and your weary soul. The rules and regulations the Jewish people were living by, the, the written law and the oral interpretations, they were complex, they were difficult to live by, they were impossible to fulfill. The law was something that brought condemnation. You know, the yoke of the Pharisees was condemnation. You're not good enough or you need to do this stuff to be acceptable and accepted and the law never enabled freedom. And if the way you are doing life, if the way you are being a Christian, being a son, being a daughter, being a husband, being a wife, is causing you confusion and fear and exhaustion, then you need to take the yoke of Jesus upon you rather than the yoke of the Pharisee or the yoke of religion or the yoke of this world or the yoke of yourself. Jesus says you can be free. 
Now, if there's one thing I've learned in life, it's that the yoke of Annette is not the yoke I want to live by. I want to live by the yoke of Jesus. 2 Peter 1.3 His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and his excellence. Another word for authority is power. It is by the authority and the power of Jesus that we receive everything we need for life and godliness. We don't miss out on anything. Jesus gives this to us. He frees us from the old way because he took our old ways to the cross. Then he gives us his spirit and he makes us new people and we get his yoke. Does that excite you just a little bit? I agree. Hey, you just need to ask. Receive his yoke. Let his authority and teaching guide you and change the way you live. Let's pray. Father God, we celebrate your, your, the yoke of Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we are, uh, are so eager and so grateful to take your yoke upon us, your teaching, your ways, your authority upon us, because we know that you are good and you are full of love and grace and mercy and kindness. And you come with the authority and the truth and the goodness of God. And right now we, we, we take all of this, this, this stuff and rubbish from the week, we take all of our fear and our anxiety and our bitterness and our envy and our regret and our past mistakes and our sense that we're just not enough and we take this stuff to you and we say, Jesus, we need a new way today. Jesus, would you be our new way? Show us how to be human in the way you are human. We humble ourselves before you. We, 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 we bow down at your feet, Lord Jesus. We say, teach us. Be our rabbi. Show us what is right and good and true. Give us wisdom and discernment and courage to know the right way. We thank you that, that with your authority at work in our life, we are people of, of, of dignity and courage and people of uh, confidence and people of joy. Even when, when stuff's happening that we don't like, we thank you that your yoke is such a secure uh, thing in our life that we can still feel confident, that we are not shaken whatever happens in life because we know that we are under your authority. And there is no place we would rather be. So we thank you and we praise you. Rabbi Jesus.